Happy Sunday, everyone, and welcome to the co the contest 2024. While well, we look at the most important race for president in the world, that of the United States. And I decided to do this today instead of tomorrow because it's more of a deep dive piece. It's more thematic. It's less tied to any one piece of news, and it's tied to an awful lot of smaller pieces of news. But my thesis is my headline. The Democrats can never hope to win in 2024 if they are so afraid of the American people. Now, what do I mean by that? What are the ways the Democrats are afraid of the American people? Well, think of the lawfare going on, law as warfare, political warfare going on. And beneath this idea is the basic fear of the Democrats that they cannot beat Donald Trump in a free and fair election, that the American people are too stupid and will be taken in by Trump. And so the Democrats have to, in effect, be the conscience of a bunch of morons and the ballot. In other words, to misquote Seymour Hersh when he explained the lunacy of Vietnam, uh, he, he talked to a captain, I believe at the time, who said with a straight face and something straight out of Apocalypse Now, we had to destroy the village in order to save it. The Democrats' idea seems to be we have to destroy democracy in order to save it. And of course, this isn't going to work because they get things wrong right off the bat. As Thomas Jefferson put it, the will of the people is the only legitimate foundation of any government. Again, you can't better Jefferson on populism when he said the will of the people is the only legitimate foundation of any government. And the Democrats seem to be going right by this. Why? Well, let's look at the recent polling. In poll after poll after poll, the New York Times, Siena poll, the latest Fox News poll, the latest Wall Street Journal poll, the latest Morning Consult poll, all of them have what the Bloomberg poll, which is great on the battleground states. Not only is Donald Trump up nationally, but of course we don't vote nationally. We vote state by state. There are only really six or seven swing states that tend to go one way or the other. The dirty secret of doing this for a living is we could call at least 40 of the states and we would be right 99 times out of 100. New York will indeed vote Democratic. Massachusetts will vote Democratic. California will vote Democratic. Ohio will vote for the Republican. Texas will vote for the Republican. Much of the Deep South and the West will vote for the Republicans. In the end, you're only down to about six states. And in each of these states, except Pennsylvania, where it's too close to call, Donald Trump is up beyond the margin of error in the other five. He's up beyond the margin of error in Arizona, in Georgia, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, um, in Arizona, and in Nevada. So in all these states, he's up with the exception of Pennsylvania. If that were replicated in an electoral college contest, Donald Trump would win upwards of 290 electoral votes if the election were today, at least, assuming he loses Pennsylvania, and you only need 270 to win. So by modern standards of very close elections, this would be a reasonably comfortable victory for Donald Trump. And to add to the panic, there's no signs of anything else out there that's really gonna help the Democrats. Uh, he can talk about Bidenomics all he likes, but in poll after poll after poll, people blame him for the rise in prices. People remember what prices were before the time of COVID, and that's his problem. Prices are just accumulated inflation. And that dim-witted Paul Krugman, again, pointing out the problem of a man with tenure who can't be fired, can say that the rate of inflation is slowing 
all that he likes. Nice New York apartment, probably on Park Avenue. I don't know that, but somewhere wealthy. And he has no idea of what prices are, what the cost of living crisis is, because people don't just say, gee, isn't it great? The rise in the rate of inflation has gone down, and don't I feel better about it? No. Instead, they say, my God, I can't go buy a Happy Meal for under 20 bucks, and they remember the price of things before COVID. Accumulated inflation is Biden's problem because people remember that coming out of COVID, he doubled down, gave everything to the progressive base they could ever have wanted, spent money like a drunken sailor, and for the first time since the early 80s, when President Reagan and Paul Volcker bested the beast of inflation, the beast was loose. The fact that the rates have now gone down, we haven't had deflation, and so the rates are going up at a less high level significantly than they were before. That's true, but they're still going up. They're not going back down. And so people remember the sticker shock of life before Biden and COVID. And there's no way he can talk around this because he's guilty. He's obviously to blame for this. And the American people have baked this into the cake. They don't care how high the GDP rate is. And the economy is in reasonably good shape. They remember prices. And he will be blamed for that. That's baked into the cake. There's nothing he can do about it. He also will be blamed for not caring at all about the border. And indeed, the Democrats have been so gormless about the border that, frankly, you have to say, I'm, I'm open to the conspiracy theory here. The Democrats want undocumented illegal aliens to come over the border because they assume that most of them will end up being Democrats. And so why bother patrolling a border when you're just keeping people out who are going to vote for you in the long run anyway? And I, I do think that they, they've made little or no effort to stop things at the border. Republicans have been waving their arms. President Biden has undone a lot of the executive orders President Trump put in place to deal with this. And lo and behold, it is now in the most important issue out there in South Carolina, which is nowhere near a border. I mean, it's near a port, if anything. Um, South Carolina, the most important issue coming out of the exit polls in the Republican primary was indeed immigration. And it's right up there with cost of living and prices. And Biden is absolutely guilty. The idea that he's now blaming Republicans for not passing some watered-down immigration bill is a joke. Everyone knows the Democrats have done nothing, that Biden rescinded Trump's executive orders tightening the border. He could reapply them any minute he wanted to, but if he were to do that, he would have to then admit he'd undone them in the first place. So Biden is caught between a rock and a hard place on immigration as well as on the economy. And then lastly... The other major issue is his age, and it's a simple adage of being alive that you don't get younger as time goes on. If Biden already seems to be having far too many senior moments, I have a friend who said to me, I love my grandfather, but he's Biden's age and we don't let him change the TV set. Everybody who's had older parents knows that they're fine, and then they're not. Nobody thinks this is funny. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy that the people around Biden, so quick to cash in on the pay-to-play games of Hunter Biden, Jim Biden, and the rest of the whole unsavory family don't know when it's time that Joe needs to be led to the door. And instead, everyone's telling him how wonderful he is. And the reason that Shakespeare came up with King Lear is it's a universal truth that every political figure thinks they're indispensable. None of them are, and most of them stay too long. And Joe Biden has been too long at the party. Robert Hur, the special counsel, looking into what Biden was doing having his uh, presidential records next to his Corvette in the garage, said he wasn't going to try Biden for the damning reason that he was too uh, 
favorable, a, a possible witness, a well-meaning nice man who has serious memory problems. And this is damning him with faint praise. This struck a nerve precisely because it's what everyone can see. The Joe Biden can't remember talking about congressmen who are dead, leaders of Germany and, Russia and France who are dead. Uh, this, these are not small mistakes of names. Biden's always been a word salad guy. This isn't Abraham Lincoln or even Barack Obama that we're dealing with. But the problem goes far deeper than that. Uh, Biden specific examples. He didn't just take a cheap shot. He said that President Biden didn't know when his term as vice president came to an end within a calendar year. He didn't know when his beloved son, Bo, died. And he goes around saying to everyone he died in Iraq when, frankly, he did not. That is a fact. So he's not going to get any younger, and he's not going to co cognitively come back to be what he was. He's simply not what he was before. I knew Joe Biden a little bit uh, before. He used to come to Aspen events in Italy. Uh, he was one of the few senators who bothered showing up. I always admired that about him. And even though he was an older man, he was rather quick-witted, and he obviously has run into the wall that will happen to all of us. The difference is the rest of us aren't president of the United States. So all these negatives are baked in. Biden's not going to turn the corner on the economy. People have decided he's to blame for the much higher prices. They're right. Prices are just accumulated rates of inflation, and that he's to blame for whether they're going down or not. Only Paul Krugman cares about everyone living on the planet Earth just cares that prices are higher. The border is a mess, and everyone knows that. And the Democrats are to blame for this because a lot of them don't care. And then lastly, Joe Biden is in cognitive decline, and the world is too scary to have a man who doesn't know that the congressperson he's talking about is actually dead. We need better than that. And so I don't see how any of this gets better. And these poll numbers coming late in the day, one after the other after the other. Donald Trump was almost never ahead in the national polls in 2016 or 2020, and indeed he doesn't have to be because in the Electoral College, which is the way we vote, I tell every European this, we vote by state, if you look at that, um, Donald Trump you know, lags two to three points behind, but doesn't need to worry. So he can be losing by two and a half, as he did to Hillary, and still win the electoral, uh, electoral college numbers. And yet, he's ahead by two to three points, and, and more toward three with a five-way race in real clear politics average, more toward two in a two-way race. But in the state level, in the battleground state level, uh, he's just, Trump's wiping Biden out. The only state where it's too close to call is Pennsylvania, in Nevada, in Arizona, in Georgia, in Wisconsin, in Michigan. North Carolina's already sailed for the Republicans, I think. In each of these cases, Trump is ahead beyond the margin of error. So Joe Biden, as of today, is losing. So what do the Democrats do? Do they say, let's have a new campaign strategy? No. They go back to Seymour Hersh and they say, Let's bomb the village in order to save it. Let's destroy democracy in order to save it. So how are they going to do this? Lawfare. Let's look at the panoply of, uh, of attacks on President Trump. First, in a civil case, Trump has been found guilty of inflating the value of his properties in order to get favorable bank loans. Well, a couple things about this. First of all, most New York developers are known to inflate the rate of their properties to get bank loans. That doesn't mean it's okay. It does mean that this is a significant traffic ticket. There ought to be some sort of fine, but that's all this is. Because secondly, the banks in question all said that Trump repaid every single penny he borrowed with interest. So the banks are satisfied. There's no crime here of any kind. 
Trump got loans from the banks based on whatever valuations he came up with. He repaid the loans with interest. So show me the crime here. The crime is the people of New York who would elect Trotsky over Trump, who would convict Trump of being Charles Manson if it came to it, and everybody knows this. The New York is a solidly, solidly, fanatically blue state. They want to sock it to Donald Trump. And so he was fined because of this mistake where there is no crime, where the banks don't have any complaints, whatever. Trump was fined hundreds of millions of dollars. And the immediate reaction in much of the mainstream media was joy and glee because if he has to pay these hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe he won't be able to run for president. Again, the Democrats are so afraid of the American people that they're looking for any legal excuse they can find to keep Donald Trump from winning, rather than making arguments out there that might beat the guy. They're going to let the law take care of it. And when Donald Trump then talks about a deep state of judicial officials, of high-ranking bureaucrats who are out to get him, this kind of proves his point. And indeed, since the uh, cases have gone forward, the 91 indictments and the four criminal cases we're about to mention, he's dusted the rest of the Republican field. Ron DeSantis, I think, very wisely when he was asked as his campaign came to an end, uh, DeSantis was asked if he could change one thing, what would it be? And he said ruefully, I wouldn't have Trump be indicted for anything because these indictments destroyed him. Trump looks like the martyr he keeps saying that he is because they are indeed out to get him using unfair methods like lawfare to stop him running for the presidency rather than beating him at the ballot box, which is how our Jeffersonian system is supposed to work. And then let's look at the four cases in some detail. Okay, the Mar-a-Laga case, which is withholding presidential documents. Again, this is a traffic ticket. Joe Biden was just found guilty of this by the special counsel. Who's going to, going to bother taking it to court because he doesn't think he's going to win because Joe Biden is too sympathetic a defendant. He doesn't say he's, he's innocent. In fact, he says he's guilty. Barack Obama, the Senate Obama, also ran into a minor difficulty about his presidential papers and had to pay a fine. And I, yes, I think it's creepy that presidents you know, keep their own papers when they're owned by the country, um, that they try to rewrite history. One assumes by doing this, they shouldn't do that. This is a misdemeanor, though. This is not a felony. This shouldn't stop anybody being president. So there's that. Then we get to the Georgia votes shenanigans, where Fannie Willis ran to be prosecutor in Georgia saying she was going to get Trump. Well, I admire her in a way for her honesty, but that's not really what I wanted a prosecutor. I want them to uphold the law. She's come up with a racketeering charge using the RICO laws that came into vote for dealing with the mafia, and Fannie Willis is saying that all the people who were contesting the Georgia result were involved in a criminal conspiracy to overturn the election. Well, that's that's a you know I watch a lot of Law and Order, and Jack McCoy has to prove conspiracy that all the parts of the conspiracy were doing this. How do you prove intent? Maybe these people really thought Donald Trump was treated badly. Maybe they thought that the Hunter Biden material should have been out in public and wasn't. Maybe they thought that the people in Georgia hadn't counted the votes fairly because of vote harvesting and the number of absentee ballots that came out of COVID. How can you prove what they were thinking? Nobody said in an email, we all know this is true. Instead, they fought to overturn the result. But if you can't prove intent, why they did it, then they're not guilty. So I'm not even sure how she'd win the actual case. And then we have to add in the extraordinary fact, and no, you couldn't make this up, the extraordinary fact that Fannie Willis seems to have done rather well out of this, that the man that she appointed as chief uh, investigator 
while she prosecuted the case. She then had a romantic affair with. She paid him hundreds of thousands of dollars, which does seem excessive to be an investigator. And then they went on trips together. No, I can't possibly make this up. I almost don't know what to say. It's almost better just to enjoy the irony of it. Now, she says that she repaid him in cash, and of course that means there are no receipts, so it's her word, and the appearance of impropriety is the size of a large elephant here. And she also, a number of her friends and even enemies say that she lied about when the affair started. It started before she appoints him, though she swears it came after. But certainly the appearance of impropriety is here, so this already far-fetched effort that uses intent seems to go down in the wayside as Fanny Willis has shot herself at the foot. The problem with throwing stones is you have to be careful you don't live in a glass house, and Fanny Willis seems to have done so. At present, that case is on hold while her malfeasance is looked into. Uh, then we have the New York um, um, results, and again, the irregularities, where Donald Trump seems to have paid Michael Cohen, his fixer, to pay a porn star, Stormy Daniels, again, you couldn't make this up, who was trying to extort money from him or blackmail him, and he had Michael Cohen pay it, and then he paid him back out of campaign funds. Now, this is a misdemeanor, and the prior ADA, the Jack McCoy of the Southern District of Manhattan, was a guy named Cyrus Vance Jr., and yes, by his name, you can tell his political affiliation, Cyrus Vance Sr., his father, was a Secretary of State for Jimmy Carter. I vaguely remember, rather hapless one at the time of the Iran hostage crisis. But Cyrus Vance Jr. bought this, that if you can't just magically roll 37 or so misdemeanors and voila, like a magic trick, you, you get the bunny rabbit and they become a felony. You can't have that happen. Thank you. You can't have that happen because that's not a fair way to proceed. And the only reason they're doing it, they've never tried this form of thinking with any other candidate ever except Donald Trump. So again, I think special pleading is called for here. This is entirely new territory, and they're just out to get him. And so when Trump says this, that 35 misdemeanors, voila, back goes the magic, and look, a felony. The problem is it's New York, which may actually help Trump, because again, they convict him of being Satan, um, not following things on the facts. He certainly can say there's bias out there. And if there's bias out there, then he can call for another trial. So this one has a long way to go as well. And remember, the goal of lawfare is to finish Trump off ahead of the election. They have to get him off the ballot and into chains ahead of the election. And none of this seems to be doing the trick. The most serious case, which uh, Jack Smith, the special counsel, is ruling on, is what happened on January 6th, which was a terrible day for United States democracy and the darkest day of Trump's presidency of that, there is absolutely no doubt. But Jack Smith also is political. He's racing to get this trial done as fast as he can because he wants the Trump to be convicted of a serious offense relating to January 6th and overturning the election result. He wants this in the books ahead of the election. Donald Trump, of course, does not. The difference is that a defendant is allowed to pursue any line of thinking they want. Any single line of thinking in their defense is perfectly fine as long as it's rational. And Donald Trump wants to slow things down so all this happens after the election. He's entirely entitled to do that as a defendant. However, it says the prosecutor, particularly a special prosecutor, isn't allowed to let politics interfere with his pursuit of the truth. 
And Jack Smith it belies that standard when he's trying to race to get this done. The question is always in political risk is why? Why would he be racing to do this? The only reason he would be racing to do this is to convict Trump of a serious felony ahead of the election to get his name off or so skew the election that the Democrats don't have to worry about things like coming up with an agenda that's actually in line with what the American people want or picking a candidate that they want as opposed to Joe Biden. And so Donald Trump says that he was immune from prosecution for all official acts engaged in when president. Now, I don't think that's going to fly. I think if you look at the Supreme Court versus Nixon, uh, which is a ruling when they've talked about presidential immunity, um, I think that that shows immunity has limits. Um, as the court mentioned when they were discussing uh, the case before and, and, and what might be done, they, they, were, they were quizzical saying, so if the president ordered somebody killed, um, he could say that, that he's immune from prosecution unless impeached by the Congress. Um, I don't think that this flies at all. I think there are limits to immunity. But the Supreme Court is entirely right to define what those limits are because they are not clear. And the point of the court and judicial review since the days of Justice Marshall is to delineate these outcomes. We know that there is such thing as immunity. And in fact, when a man is president, the DOJ rules are traditionally, it's not in law, but traditionally, are not to go after a president while he's in office for any kind of serious crime. That, of course, could also be taken to court. But that's the tradition at the moment, because the DOJ, the Department of Justice, is allowing that there are real limits to immunity, but that immunity is real. There is such a thing as presidential immunity. In Supreme Court, U.S. versus Nixon, they said that, no, this doesn't apply to things like the tapes, which are government property and not the property of the president. So Donald Trump's saying he's immune from what Jack Smith is alleging happened on January 6th uh, might very well not work. I personally don't think that it is constitutional. But Donald Trump has every right to bring it up, and the court has every right to slow down the process, take some time, and rule on the side as to this immunity claim, because we do need to know going ahead, after Donald Trump, what the limits and parameters of immunity are. The court isn't making this up. This isn't frivolous, but it's made the Democrats go crazy. Why? They don't care about the court case. They don't care about the Constitution. They don't care about the law. They want to get Trump. There he's right. Trump derangement syndrome. In the office, we call this TDS. It's become a real thing. They can't, it's, it's a certifiable form of mental illness where, as we used to joke, you don't want to get in a fight with a pig in the mud because you both get dirty, but the pig likes it. And what's happening here is that Donald Trump drags the Democrats down, and so they do these unseemly things, and then he says, they're out to get me. And they fall for this trick every single time. He's the roadrunner, and the Democrats seem to be the hapless, wily E. Coyote with the useless Acme products. They fall for this every single time. And so now they're going absolutely crazy because on all these four cases, nothing much is happening. In terms of Mar-a-Lago, it's a traffic ticket. In terms of Georgia, they were sabotaged by their own prosecutor. In terms of New York, any, any number of misdemeanors does not magically become a felony. Cyrus Vance Jr. was right. And in terms of January 6th, this will now slow down for the court to look at the side ruling on immunity. Following the side ruling on immunity, they'll get back to the case, there'll be discovery, and this could well push the case out beyond the election.
which of course is the point in the first place. They don't care about the law. It's, it's the lawfare they care about, the warfare, the keeping Trump off the ballot. And then, of course, there's a final way where they, they just brutally muscled in. And here I think the Supreme Court is likely to rule 7 to 2, 8 to 1, or 9 to 0 soon about Colorado deciding that Donald Trump on January 6th, again, easily the worst day of his presidency, the blackest mark on his presidency. Nobody doubts that. But Colorado said that Trump will be thrown off the ballot in that state because of the 14th Amendment, which was enacted in 1868. It had an insurrection clause, and this clause was specifically written into the Constitution to stop unrepentant Confederates from reassuming positions in the federal government as though nothing had happened with the Civil War, if they weren't prepared to swear a loyalty oath, if they weren't prepared to affirm their loyalty to the Union, they shouldn't be allowed to hold office. Now, talk about stretching this thing beyond pretzel-like shape to make this fit. First of all, Trump has never been convicted of insurrection by anybody. Second, Trump is not even charged for insurrection by anybody. Jack Smith decided, rightly, that over the January 6th case he's dealing with, it's simply too hard to prove insurrection. You have to prove, again, intent, what Trump was thinking. And you can't prove that very easily. He could very well have been thinking, my people have every right to protest what I see as a flawed election, be it flawed or not, they have every right to protest, and I have every right to encourage them to do so. That's not insurrection. That's not agreeing with the standard view. And so to prove insurrection, and I think Trump winked at the nod, I think he danced on the line but did not cross it, I don't think that's good. I think, I think it's the worst day of his presidency. But no one has convicted him of insurrection, and indeed, no one has even charged him with insurrection. And yet the state of Colorado, jumping the gun, desperate to get him, largely a blue state now, they've said his name can't be on the ballot because he's guilty of insurrection. Yes, he's guilty without ever having had a trial. You heard it right. George Orwell would make a great deal of this. So when Donald Trump says, they're out to get me, he's not being paranoid. This is my favorite of all the cases, the Colorado case, where they say your name can't be on the ballot because of the 14th Amendment, the insurrection clause from the Southern Confederacy, an incredible stretch there. We're convicting you of insurrection without a trial. You've never even been charged with insurrection, let alone convicted, but we want you off the ballot because you just might win. And that is horrible. And people can see that. I see that, and I don't agree with Donald Trump about his claim for immunity for the January 6th issue. But he has every right to defend himself in any way he sees fit. And I think January 6th was a black day. But I think Donald Trump has every right to have his day in court. And you can't convict him because you don't like him. You fear what he might do as president when he's not been convicted of insurrection and indeed not been tried for insurrection. If the Democrats really want to beat Donald Trump, marshal some arguments, convince a majority of people, and you will win. However, for Trump to say, I'm of the people and they're out to get me, rings true. And that's the horrible thing at the heart of this lawfare. The Democrats can never hope to win in 2024 if they are so afraid of the American people. Stop this nonsense and let the people decide. Thanks very much. Very fun to do this here, the contest 2024. 
while we look at things going on, Donald Trump is ahead and the Democrats would do far better to try to beat him using arguments rather than to try to make the law fit so they can harm him. Destroying democracy in order to save it is a sick joke. And I urge them to rejoin the land of the living, give up their Trump derangement syndrome, and make some arguments. Thanks very much. So many of you have subscribed and we're incredibly grateful. Please do so now. And please do give us the $70, which is all we're asking a year, so we can continue to give you this cutting edge, up to the minute uh, broadcast of everything going on, both in the contest, in terms of foreign policy around the world in 20 minutes, the culture, where we're next moving on to the genius of Robert Altman. We've just finished National, and we're just going to go on to The Player, one of my favorite Altman films. You're going to get a totality here. Our little local newspaper that's trying to change the world is booming. Please give us the $70 so I can keep giving this the time that it so merits. Thanks ever so much. Last thing to say, last best hope, doing great. I'll let you know next week as we begin to get ready to head off for the most important week of our firm in a long time for the book when we go to New York to speak at the dinner for the Koch Foundation and then down to speak to the Speaker of the House and senior staffers in the House and meet with the Trump people about what might be coming up and using the book as a way to change the GOP, to change America, and ultimately change the world. 70 bucks a year, that seems worth it. Thanks ever so much, and on we go.